The NFL Draft is less than a month away. That means fantasy football is coming, and here on Fake Pigskin's Fantasy in the UK podcast, we are pumped up and ready. I am your host, Ben Rolfe, and you can find me at brolf1507 on Twitter. Today I have with me Fake Pigskin's English Premier League expert and all-round fantasy sports lover, Neil Donoghue. Hi, guys. We also have a new voice with us this week in the shape of one of the fake, one of Fake Pigskin's plethora of IDP writers, Grant Harrison. Hi guys, you can find me on Twitter at, at GrantHarrison91. Thanks guys. Before we get underway discussing fantasy football, just a quick reminder to follow at FakePigSkin for all your fantasy baseball needs across football, baseball, basketball and the Premier League. Right guys, so I thought we'd start with probably the biggest news story of the last couple of weeks in Deshaun Jackson's move to the Redskins. There was a lot of rumours that he'd be released by the Eagles, but then it all happened and the whole of the NFL landscape went a bit mad with uh, him being linked to pretty much every one of the other 31 teams. He ended up signing with the Redskins. What does that do for his value and RG3 val- RG3 uh, RG3's value? Um, I, I think it obviously helps RG3's value. He's obviously a very talented deep ball thrower. And to be fair, deep threats don't come much better than Deshaun Jackson. And Jackson being in Washington should open things up for Pierre Garçon to do more with his targets. I mean, last year he was obviously the, mo- the most targeted receiver in the league, and whilst he put up good PPR stats, with a deep threat like Deshaun on the Redskins, there'll be more room for him to do more with that work he got last year. Yeah, I'd agree with that, Grant. I think uh, I saw a lot of analysts saying that... Um, he wouldn't go to an offence where he'd get the same volume as he did in Philly, but I think if there were a close second, it would definitely be Washington, because I think, I think they're crying out for, for a superstar, basically. I know um, Garçon's, Garçon's being solid, but I think RG3 is, is crying out for that link-up, that sort of famous Stafford-Megatron-type link-up. And I think um, David Jackpot with Deshaun Jackson, I know um, a lot of people question his character and things like that, but I think he's a fabulous player. Yeah, I think he's a really good player, and I think they'll use him to take the head off the defence and let Garçon operate a bit more underneath, maybe, and that'll give him a lot more space to follow through. With RG3 returning from injury, hopefully, this year, where do you guys see this move putting him in terms of where you'd be looking to draft him? Would you be looking top 10, or which reason would you be a bit more cautious? I think he's, he's just outside the top 10 quarterbacks for me. I think he's a, he's a prime bounce back can, candidate, that is for sure. Um, and I, I was reading yesterday that he'd been working on his mechanics um, and trying to become more of a passer. I think he's, he's seeing the, the sort of error of his ways, scrambling out of pocket too readily, too easily, um, and it, it's cost him playing time. And I think if, if, he could, if he could work on that, they'd definitely give him weapons. I think Andre Roberts is also a good, a good ad for them as well. Yeah, I think he, I think much like Neil, he is a prime bounce back candidate for next season. And with Jay, with Jay Gruden coming in to coach him, we've seen the Gruden offense before. And whilst at times it may not be pretty, it does uh, it does produce the stats that as fantasy players we want? Yeah, definitely. That's what um, that's what they'll want from him. They'll, the Redskins will want it as fantasy players. That's what we want. We want pure production. Um, Andre Roberts was another guy, you brought him up, Neil, that I was going to bring up in all of this, because obviously he signed with Washington on the first day of free agency, and I guess he'd have thought he was getting the number two job, and there has actually been a couple of things come out on ESPN the last couple of days where he's actually said, I was told I'd be the number two wide receiver, 
and he's now a bit worried that what his role might be. <coughs> Do you see them going three wide receivers constantly? Because obviously they have Alfred Morris, they also have a couple of good receiving threats out the backfield. To add to the fact they've got Jordan Reed, and okay, he's suspended to begin the season, but Fred Davis is a is a top end, what tight end at times when he's healthy. How do you see them all fitting into this Redskins offense? It's a bit of a conundrum, really. I mean, um, Andre Roberts. I mean, Jay Gruden's sort of good at spreading the wealth. I think um, if you look at the the stats of the Cincinnati wide receivers last year, they all sort of got theirs. But I think another another thing in this Redskins offense is will Gruden use Roy Hill in the sort of Giovanni Bernard type because I'm not sure Alfred Morris has got really good arms out of backfield either so it's hard to, it's hard to gauge where Andre Roberts fits now whereas you would have thought you know being the number two behind Garcon you would have thought it would have got volume um, and it were up to him to, to produce with it It's I think it's hard to hard to see where he fits now Yeah I don't see Roberts having much fancy going forward after the Deshaun signing I wasn't overly high on him when he signed in Washington anyway. On field it may work out because he is a talented player that was underrated in Arizona. But with the with the Jay Gruden offense, you do find that the third guy kind of rotates amongst a group of players. I mean Aldrich Robinson's still there in Washington and we know he's good for a few long touchdowns a season, so Gruden may want to try and get him a little more involved in Who would you pick us on or Deshaun Jackson and would Andre Roberts maybe as a flyer late on? I'd go with Garcon first, and Robert in a deep league maybe, but I really don't think he's going to come to that. Just that going to come to his time. Robert strikes me as one of those guys that'll be a hot wave away if he has one big game. Oh yeah, definitely. I've just had a look in there. They've still got Leonard Hankerson there as well, who seems to go into every season as a uh, as a hot pickup that people recommend late on in drafts. So uh, there's there's going to be a lot of uh, wide receivers there, and I guess a couple of them will probably uh, miss out on the opening on the opening day. Uh, cuts, but uh, we, we've spoken quite a bit about the Redskins there. They're, we're obviously going to cover them closer to the season once uh, we've had the draft, and obviously following the draft, we will go more sort of weekly podcasts. Whereas for now, we're going to stay more fortnightly with shorter podcasts leading up to the draft. There's only one more one more week really that we'll do a podcast before the draft now. But post draft, we'll cover all these teams. So if we don't get to your players that you wanted us to talk about. Send one of us a, a Twitter message or send it to Fake Pigskin and I'm sure it will get back to us. Um, but for now, we're going to move on to something that will be uh, reasonably close to Neil's heart, I think. Uh, Chris Johnson was released by the Tennessee Titans during this offseason. He's still currently a free agent, last I uh, checked. Where do you guys see him landing? And perhaps more importantly, where would you like to see him land? Uh, firstly, I, I, I were actually a little bit sad. I know it's, it's the right move... Um, Salary cap wise, and I think he is, he is in decline. But three or four years, <coughs> this guy we're making as relevant. This guy had us on Sunday night football, Monday night football, and we were actually interesting to watch when we were in his prime, which we're going to miss now. Um, but fantasy wise, um, ideally, I'd like to see him end up in Atlanta. I think um, they've not got a great deal behind Stephen Jackson. Uh, I think they will probably be in, be in um, the market to draft a running back. But I think uh, as a, as a 1-2, I think Jackson and, and Johnson could give Atlanta a good season. Yep. Um, there was a lot of talk originally that Johnson may end up in Atlanta, but that's cooled down a lot since the, he actually became available on the market. 
if the price is right, it's something I would like to see personally as a fan of the Falcons. Um, Denver as well would be another good fit to go along with um, Monte Ball, depending if they trust Chris Johnson in pass protection, obviously, as that is always the caveat with the Denver running backs. Yeah, you have to be a good pass protector to be uh, even considered there, really. Um, I'd naturally, as a Patriots fan, not mind seeing him there if the price was right, but I don't think they'll go out and stretch for him. They've got a couple of decent options there. Um, I don't think he's doing himself any favours either. He's, he's not working out for teams. He's, he's saying things like, watch the tape, watch the tape. Well, the tape for the last three seasons has been pedestrian at best. I, I just think he's, he's got an overinflated opinion of his, his value, and I think that'll be a stumbling block for him signing with anybody. Yeah, I think that's going to put teams off a little bit, really. And the trouble is, a couple of years ago, he had the excuse that he didn't have a great O-line in front of him. We're going to touch on O-line to fan- like O-line value to fantasy players later on in the podcast, but last year he had a pretty decent O-line with the Titans, and he just couldn't do it. So I wonder if, he's, if there's anything there, and if bringing him in could be more stressful to teams than actually the benefit they'll get from him. But... Where would be, in your opinion, the worst place for him to go fantasy-wise? Where do you think he'd be a real logjam? You wouldn't see him. He might take playing time away from others that could be hot sleepers this year. Buffalo strikes me as, as one where, I mean, you've, you've got CJ Spiller and Fred Jackson there. I know that those are the best there. Um, and to be honest, I don't think I'd like to see him on the Jets either. Strangely, sticking with the AFC East, I don't think I'd like to see him in Miami. It's, it's a really poorly coached situation down there, and if Johnson got paid down there to go alongside Sean Marino and Lamar Miller, I could see him just wasting away into even yeah. less of a productive back than he is now. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that's certainly fair enough. I can see why you'd uh, you'd have that opinion of it. He if he gets stuck in a situation where he's badly coached with a lot of other running backs could end up with an issue where they all just end up being completely irrelevant and it just takes away from fantasy completely. A terrible offensive line as well in Miami. Yeah, that that's another point against it really. But we'll uh, we'll go on from talking about them with a poor offensive line. Um, I've just been reading about Andre Brown, so I'll slip him into the podcast here. He's obviously going to the Texans, so a couple of years ago had one of the best offensive lines in football and had two of the best running backs in fantasy football, even though they were sharing time in Ben Tate and Aaron Foster. What do you think about Andre Brown's move to the Texans? Do you think he's going to be particularly fantasy relevant, or is he going to be one of those late-round flyers in case something happens to Aaron Foster kind of people? I think he's going to be a late-round flyer with... Good upside, to be honest. Brown shown when he time in New York that he is a talented back, and the Texans do have, still have a, a solid offensive line, if not the uh, the all-pro unit they had a few years ago. And it'll be interesting to see how Aaron Foster does fit into Bill O'Brien's new offense, whether he will be able to flourish in a, a, a blocking scheme that isn't the zone scheme that Gary Kubiak ran. I think I'm, uh, I'm all in on Aaron Foster this year. I think if I can get him at a good value... I'll take him wherever I can because last season he had he had the back problems he missed all training camp he didn't play in the pre-season but if you look at the four or five games where he did start he, he was actually quite good um, double figures he caught a lot of passes out of the backfield he sort of saw Ben Tate off until he got injured and I think uh, if you can get him at a good price I don't think I'd handcuff him with Andre Brown if you can get Foster in, in like the third 
fourth round. I think I'd be happy with that, actually. Yeah, I own Foster in the Dynasty League, and I'm quite excited for him this year because I think he yeah. could get off to a really hot start, and then at worst he could be a sell high kind of guy if things fall if things look like they're going to fall off a little bit, or Ben Tate looks like he's getting more carries. But I'm quite excited to see Foster this year. I think, especially if he goes into the season healthy for the, what would it be the first time in about three years since he was at his best. Yeah. So that yeah, be- is looking. It's looking like he'll go into season healthy. We, we, I mean, it, it, there, were, there were talk whether he would shut himself down last season. I, I believe it was his own decision, so he should feel good about it. Well, that's fair enough. In a season that you're writing off, if he chooses to shut himself down, okay, it's not good for fantasy owners, but it's good for fantasy owners in the long run because yeah. he's going he's gonna to get time to get healthy. And if anything, he's, he's done the Texans a favour in a way because he didn't win them games that he might have won them and they've ended up with the first draft picks, which... We might get a chance to touch on today because I know Grant, you're very NFL draft heavy in your coverage of other, in other places. So, I am indeed. Um, also, don't mistake my praise of Andre Brown as me saying that I'm not all, all in on Aaron Foster this season. I think he has the opportunity to be right back up in the top five, top seven yeah. running backs. I just think Brown, with Foster's dubious injury, injury history, may be worth a late flyer with the uh, the poor, the just poor quality of running backs that are typically available late in drafts. Yeah, that's definitely true. So, we're talking about Foster here. Very quickly, Grant, where would you take Foster if you were drafting today? Um, late second, early third, probably. Maybe a little higher. Neil? Yeah, I agree with that, uh, but the way uh, all three of us are talking, I think um, <coughs> it might climb. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd definitely be looking at him high in the second round, if I'd, especially if I'd gone for like a... Uh, a Josh Gordon type late in the first round someone like Aaron Foster who could give you top five value in fantasy football is well worth looking at early in the second round where you can then pick up more guys in the third fourth round to sort of tie him up with in case things do go wrong with him late on in this, as the season progresses but we'll move away from running backs here because we're now going to go a bit wide receiver heavy for the next sort of 10-15 minutes because there's been quite a lot of news revolving around the wide receivers lately. Obviously, we've already covered Deshaun Jackson and touched on Andre Roberts. But also Mike Williams moved from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to the Bills. I believe it was a trade with a sixth-round pick going the other way. Um, how do you see Williams fitting into that situation in, the, in Buffalo? Because obviously they've got a couple of good running backs who require the ball quite a lot. But they've also got Stevie Johnson. Uh, they drafted someone last year that the name escaped me, but I'm sure one of you can tell me who it is. Robert Woods. That's the one. And he's Goodwin as well. And yeah, and he came up up last year. And they've obviously got EJ Manuel there as a young quarterback. How do you see all of that moulding? Is Buffalo going to become an explosive offense with those three wide receivers? And is Mike Williams going to be relevant? I think it's all all down to EJ. Um, if I'm honest, I think all the pieces are in place. Uh, they've got a, a fairly good offensive line, good running backs, good receivers. I think they're lacking a tight end, but they might address that in the draft. I think it's all down to EJ. He's got the keys to the car. Is he going to produce? I mean, all I've seen from him is prototypical size and arm strength, and that's it. Um, he's got a, a lot to prove this year, in my opinion, before you can really talk about any of Buffalo's guys being fantasy stars. Yeah, in a word, in a word, one word answer to will Buffalo become an explosive offense? No. Purely because EJ Manuel, he's a, he's a very marginal talent, in my opinion. The fact they put their necks on the line in Doug Marone's first year and drafted Manuel in the first round. When it happened, I, I was amazed, to be honest. He's not a first, he wasn't a first round talent, even in last year's poor draft. 
And with the uh, with the plethora of weapons they've got in there, I can I can just see the guys like Mike Williams, Steve Johnson, Robert Woods, all becoming a much of a muchness there. None of them really standing out, but in a couple of years' time, if if the Bills do manage to obtain a solid quarterback that isn't afraid to throw 15 yards down the field, there's potential there because they've got a good offensive line as well. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a decent kind of setup, and he, the trouble is with EJ Manuel, as well as you saying he's a bit hit and miss, is he doesn't often seem to stay healthy. He seems to be one of these people that every time I turn on a Buffalo game, seems to be on the floor or being talked about in other games as, oh, EJ Manuel got hit today, he might be out for a few weeks. Obviously, that's not necessarily the case, but that's just what I remember from last season off the top of my head, just hearing EJ Manuel's injured all the time is what it felt like, and the debate about who'd step in for him most of the season. And that, to me, would worry (coughs) me for those wide receivers because people like Thad Lewis and stuff like that stepping in, people of that calibre, it's not really ideal when you're drafting wide receivers. So, on... As we've done with the previous guys we've talked about, where would you be looking to take Robert Woods, do you think? Would you be looking to take him as a second wide receiver, or would you be more looking as a flex bench guy? For me, it'd have to be a, probably like my fourth wide receiver to feel comfortable with it. He's a really talented guy, in all honesty, and um, I think he was a little underrated coming out of UFC last season. I think Matt Barkley's poor quarterback play didn't really help him as a junior. Um in reference to go back to EJ for a quick second, Thad Lewis was actually better than him last season, which is uh, always worrying for uh, the quarterback you've spent a first round pick on. Yeah, when it's somebody that nobody's heard of going into fantasy drafts that's outplaying one of the hot sleepers, so to speak, as EJ Manuel was considered at times last year, that is a little worrying. So, okay, Robert Woods, Grant, you said fourth. I'm going to chuck this one over to Neil. Would you take Robert Woods about the same? sort of area for your team and if so would you be looking at Stevie Johnson before that or after that and the same with Mike Williams would you be looking to even draft some of those guys yeah I think I think Stevie Johnson and Mike Williams will, will get drafted I'm, I'm not sure in a, in a 10 team standard league I think Robert Woods might might be waiver wire for him, um, which is which is a shame really because as Grant says he is really talented I mean him and Mark Lee were, were sort of they were talking about USC as a national championship team um, when Barkley were thrown to those two guys so I think it's it's a shame really that um, it's stuck behind those two because I think you could argue it is the most talented of the three. <clears throat> it's a shame that Manuel has brought down the Buffalo situation because there are some really talented guys playing out wide in Buffalo. I mean, Marquis Goodwin is definitely going to go undrafted. But if you're in a league that does big play bonuses, he's the kind of guy that if he's on the waiver wire, he could provide a real spark for any fantasy team if he gets going. <coughs> Yeah, so that's something maybe to look out for. Make sure one thing that we'll we'll do after the draft is we will probably just spend a week, maybe sort of post couple of weeks post draft. Um, but just before everything gets really going into sort of heading into preseason, we'll have a talk about different formats and stuff like that. Is what we'll try and give you advice on. Um, what about CJ Spiller and Fred Jackson? I know their situation's a bit of a mess, but does having those extra wide receivers now cause a problem for them in terms of not just obviously they're still probably going to get their carries split between them but CJ Spiller is quite a handy target out of the backfield having those wide receivers must hurt that surely you would think but as I've mentioned previously EJ is very prone to a check down so I, I can see Spiller still being a viable pass catcher in that offence 
Okay, fair enough. Then uh, hopefully CJ Spiller and Fred Jackson will both have a little bit of fantasy value and possibly as the year gets closer we'll see maybe one of them taking over the situation and I think most fantasy owners will hope it's uh, CJ Spiller because he has the, I think he has the potential to be, like we said with Aaron Foster, he has the potential to be top five, top seven. The trouble is you just can't put any stock in it right now and you have to draft him a bit late. But we'll see how that situation develops and we'll cover the bills closer to the season and talk a bit more in depth about CJ Spiller. But uh, for now, we'll uh, move on, but we'll stay in the AFC with the Browns, who have been in the news a couple of times this week. We'll get to Alex Mack in a little while and uh, all the stuff relating to that. But uh, Nate Burleson, he signed with the Browns. A lot of people were very high on him last year. He he was looking like a good pickup for Detroit, and then he obviously got injured, missed a lot of time. How do you see him functioning in that Browns offense as Josh Gordon's number two? I think I think this is a strange signing, actually. Um, because they've, they've signed Andrew Hawkins, um, who you would presume would be the, the slot receiver. Um, I wonder if the, the uh, pick Burleson up as like sort of a locker room presence, because he always has that reputation for being able to to rally guys and, and sort of help help in a locker room. But I think fantasy wise, I, I just don't I don't see any value whatsoever in this Browns offense for Burleson. I just don't see where he fits. By the sounds of that, Neil, sounds almost like uh, Burleson's uh, fantasy value might actually be in keeping Josh Gordon on the field because Josh Gordon's one game away from a year suspension or one mess up from a year suspension. So if Nate Burleson calms him down, that would be huge for fantasy owners. And uh, Burleson, unfortunately, you don't get points for calming other people down. But uh, his fantasy value might be realised in a completely different way. What, what do you think to Burleson, Grant? Um, as Neil says, I can't really see much actual fantasy point value for him. Um, in my opinion, he probably has to be a bit of a bridge for the Browns to play opposite Josh Gordon. They've got a few premier resources in this upcoming draft, and I can see them, if they don't fancy a quarterback at number four, get Sammy Watkins in there, play him opposite Josh Gordon, and uh, make life easier for Brian Hoyer, or if they draft a quarterback later. Yeah, there has been a bit of talk that they seem to like Brian Hoyer, so that might be a way they go, because they've got a strong defence there in Cleveland. So, OK, they've lost a couple of guys this off-season, but there's still a, a decent defence in there. So uh, that may be the way they look, is to um, <coughs> shore up those weapons. Does this spell the complete end, then, for Greg Stonehand's little grant? <laughs> yes, unfortunately, I think it does. Which is a shame, because despite the Stonehands, you see him do things from time to time, and you, you can see why people were so excited about him a few years ago. Yeah, every, every year for the past three years, I, I've had Greg Little circled as a man on my sheet to keep an eye on late on in drafts. But I, I drafted him a couple of times, and I just ended up dropping him two weeks in when his stat line would read, like, naught receptions or one reception on four targets with three drops or something like that. And you just and then you go back and watch them, and you see the ball hitting square in the middle of their hands. Mm-hmm. Okay, that doesn't and that doesn't happen very often with Brandon Whedon as you call that. But when it did happen, <laughs> he just tended to drop them. So uh, yeah, I think Greg Little might be done. I don't think he's going to be someone we'll be talking about closer to the season. Um, we were mentioning Josh Gordon has a lot of disciplinary problems. Well, uh, talking of disciplinary problems, let's go to Kenny Britt, who's signed with the St. Louis Rams recently. Kenny Britt was considered one of the top wide receivers in football potentially a couple of years ago. But he's just been mess after mess. And then everyone thought he was back on track a little bit with the Titans last year. And he just disappeared into fantasy irrelevance. Do you see that changing with the Rams? Because they've got quite a few receiving options there. They're not big names, but they tend to like the guys they have. 
I think um, from a Titans point of view, I think last season were just inexcusable. I will go as far as saying Kenny Britt's dead to me. It <laughs> <laughs> were, were absolutely embarrassing last season. Just total lack of effort. Um, dropping balls left, right and centre. I think I know obviously is is the one reason he's in St Louis is because of Jeff Fisher, but I'm not sure Jeff Fisher got a great deal out of him in Tennessee. I think the the best season Kenny Britt was going to have was Mike Munchak's first year in charge, and they got that horrendous knee injury. But Matt Hasselbeck was just forcing in the ball ten after the game. He looked, he looked excellent. So he's got that prototypical size and speed, and and unbelievably he's still only 23. So I can see meriting a team picking him up, but his attitude is is horrendous. Yeah, if they can get him on track, what he could be is a huge bonus for Sam Bradford in that he'll te- he could, if he gets off to a hot start, command defense, defensive presence, and that might allow them to get Tavon Austin into the game more in space, where we saw what Austin can do in space last year. He blew games open once he got the ball, but I think they just struggled to work him in because they just had such a mismatch of wide receivers there. Yeah, I think uh, the Rams' wide receiving situation is very similar to what we just discussed in Buffalo. There's a lot of guys there that are very talented, but they don't seem to stick with one of them like for a prolonged period of time. Yeah. And they've invested premium resources in guys like Brian Quick, Stedman Bailey, Tavon yeah. Austin, and they just get lost amongst each other. I think, ideally, they'd have needed a Nate Burleson sort to sort of be that veteran presence in the locker room and give these guys something to learn off. Basically uh, the opposite of Kenny Green. Yeah. I would have thought in a million years that um, Pettis would have been the best receiver on the Rams last year. Mm. Just come, come from nowhere, went even and sort of drafted by Le Regime uh, and all the guys that Sneed had drafted sort of on the sidelines while Pettis were catching touchdowns. It's, it's so hard to call. I have to say I'm very glad you two just named some wide receivers for the Rams because beyond Britain, Austin, I just couldn't think of them because last week, as soon as I got one name in my head, a different one popped up the next week. Just no one stood out to me last year to the point where I went to the waiver wire, looked at them and went, not really sure any of these will catch a ball this week and just clicked off St. Louis Rams because it's just such a mess there and I have done ever since he was drafted and I'd love to see him succeed. But I also don't think he's the quarterback to supply these guys. Not in a Brian, not in a Brian Schrattenheimer offense anyway. I think they've got guys that they'd fit, they'd fit, they'd fit well in a spread offense, not whatever mishmash that Schrattenheimer's trying to put out there every week. Yeah, and I think um, Chris Givens as well. Him and him and Kenny Britt are very similar players. I just, I don't see, I don't know. I just, I can't see why they pick Kenny Britt up. If I'm honest, yeah, Chris Givens was. Um, he was someone I was very high on going into last season. Yeah. I mean, he, had, he had a good preseason, and the year before that, as a rookie, he uh, he performed well in limited time. I remember Givens and Josh Gordon being drafted around the same area last season, and uh, it was sort yeah. of a debate which one you'd rather have. Yeah, well, that was definitely a big topic, those two, and uh, I went Josh Gordon every time. I think I ended up with Josh Gordon in pretty much every league I played in, unless someone yeah. like Grant stole him from me. He steals every one of my players every year, it feels like. Um, <laughs> But uh, you were talking there about preseason. I think something that the uh, NFL fantasy community hasn't quite cottoned on to that I think people who play baseball will know more is generally just ignore what happens in preseason. It's a big thing in baseball because so many players that you've never heard of do well in spring training and then you never hear from them again for the rest of the year. And I think that's something that in NFL that people just don't realise that people get catches in games because 
someone like Jeff Fisher wants to see what they can do with the ball when they get it if, if he needs to use them so he might they might get force fed sort of five or ten targets a game in the preseason and then he, they get buried as the as the fifth wide receiver on the, the roster and very often it they might get put out there with what's considered to be the first string but it's not really relevant, but people get sucked in by somebody like Chris Givens, for example, having a lot of catches when maybe Jeff Fisher never intend to actually use him unless it's desperate. So do you guys put a lot of stock into uh, pre-season? And if so, why? Well, speaking of somebody who had uh, Zach Sudfeld on a lot of his teams last year, I'm, I'm going to just say no. <laughs> so you don't anymore <coughs> is what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to look at running backs, actually, in pre-season. Um, when it gets into third and fourth quarter, I like to see what the third and fourth string running backs can do. Um, because obviously any, any running back's a good dynasty stash if, if they show a few flashes. Actually, so you're saying that that is probably the one thing that does that I would actually say may be worth watching because in those third and fourth quarters is when the third and fourth stringers are on the field, the guys that are really trying to earn their roster spots. So they're the guys that are really trying to hit the running backs, the defenders are trying to hit the running backs, the running backs are trying to break through the line and prove that they deserve to win a roster. That might be a point where actually preseason games are worth taking a little bit of note of for dynasty leagues. Yeah, yeah I think Kyrie Robinson last year. I think it can be a little dangerous if you've brought up preseason completely. I mean, you can ignore pretty much what the stars are doing. I mean, it's not going to have much relevance to translating over to the uh, to the regular season. But it is worth watching how new coaches implement systems, see if guys feel a little more comfortable in that than they have done in previous years. Yeah, the only thing you need to be careful with the new system is obviously they're not going to show too much of what they're going to do, especially if they're playing teams they might meet during the season, which does very often happen. Definitely. And um, as you said, the third and fourth quarters with running backs potentially emerging from those. And you look at guys like Alfred Morris. He, his career was made off impressing um, Mike Shanahan in the preseason. And nobody expected him to open the season for the Redskins as the starting running back, but he did, and let's be honest, he's never looked back. No, exactly. On that first, I remember on that first weekend, like not last season before, I just sort of remember reading on Twitter, Alfred Morris will start as the Washington Redskins running back. I went and picked him up in as many leagues as I could, and yep. as you say, I never looked back from that moment because he was he was money two years ago. So uh, that's. That's it. But I think we've talked enough about preseason. We'll obviously get more into depth with it when it is actually preseason. But obviously, we'll try not to get too carried away with what we see. Um, we'll move off the wide receivers now because really, the last of the the bigger news from the position players that I'm aware of is um, Owen Daniels signing with the Ravens. Which they're going to go to a New England style two tight end offense. Do you see that happening, Grant? And if so, how do you see that benefiting everybody in that? Baltimore situation well Kubiak is obviously um, now the offensive coordinator in Baltimore and he's obviously got his history with Owen Daniels with um, Dennis Pitter coming off his injury last season as well adding Daniels into the mix probably frees him up a little more to make players when he's on the field and if they are going to shift to a two tight end offense like uh, the Texans did use a bit last season with Daniels and uh, Gary Graham I think that's something that's going to benefit Joe Flacco might in, might eat into a little bit of Dennis Pitter's work, but Pitter is a favourite of uh, Flacco, so I think there's room for both of them to put decent stats. I mean, Daniels probably isn't a guy to draft, but a guy worth keeping an eye on for sure. Yeah, I think if you're looking for a backup quarterback, Oops, I was a good candidate this year. Um, they've added Steve Smith, 
Um, obviously, Tory Smith, two tight ends, two good running backs, um, and I think I think they could go receiver in the draft as well at some point. I think uh, if you're on if you're on a sit flacco on your bench, I think he's got a lot of upside, uh, especially with Kubiak at the helm. Yeah, especially in deep leagues. I'm not a big advocate for putting quarterbacks like Flacco on your bench in oh, uh, ten-team no. leagues where where you can pick up guys for hot weeks as and when you need. But in deep leagues, he, he could be a big guy, especially if they get those two tight ends functioning. Then that'll free up Tory Smith to go deep. Uh, Steve Smith as well. It, it's looking to be quite a nice situation there, and hopefully that might even spur Ray Rice on to being a bit more of a uh, relevant guy this year than he was at times last year. So that pretty much sums up our conversation on the position players. But there has been a lot of news this week about, I, you might consider it fantasy irrelevant, but offensive lineman for the Cleveland Browns, Alex Mack. He signed a offer sheet with Jaguars, but as a restricted free agent, or is he transition tagged? Is that what he is? is yeah, transition tag. As a transition tag player, the Browns got the opportunity to match it, which they did because he's one of their better players. So um, what I really wanted to say about that is it's not so much Alex Mack isn't, directly going to earn you fantasy points but how does having a strong offensive line or a weak offensive line for example really affect fantasy players in your opinion Neil? Um, I think obviously it's always a positive to have a strong offensive line I mean I think I think back to I mean obviously being a Tennessee fan I've seen a lot of our offensive line in action and I think a clean pocket can do a lot for your quarterback I mean Jake Locker last year nobody were drafting him um, nobody was interested in him in, in, as a fantasy asset but in the first four games he come out and had the, the second highest QBR behind Peyton Manning and I, I think that were a lot down to, to investing heavily in the offensive line with, with Levitra on a free agent deal and spending a top 10 pick on Chance Warmack and I think uh, that group's only going to get better um, and I think obviously schemes a lot to do with it as well I mean I think in the teams Raiders have had a, a, a decent offensive line in the last three or four seasons but when they moved to a zone blocking scheme it, it totally killed Darren McFadden's volume so I think schemes a lot to do with it as well actually well, I personally think it's um, it's something that fantasy owners really need to start considering when drafting players I mean going into last season Stephen Jackson people thought he could he could potentially be a top five top three running back in that Falcons offence but the offensive line it absolutely killed any semblance of a running game in Atlanta. It damaged Matt Ryan as well. I mean, if we're going to reference this to Alec Mack and talk about just the interior of the offensive line, I think that's probably, for a fantasy player, the, you don't really get that much attention to, but I think that has to change. If you've got a solid centre of the offensive line, like Mack, he's going to organise the guys around him as well as obviously opening up holes as the initial point of contact. And if players are comfortable, like if quarterbacks have the clean pocket, as Neil says, it's going to give them a lot more time to dictate the offense, get guys open downfield. And that opens up running lanes as well. So I think it's the kind of thing that, as fantasy owners, do need to put a little more focus into. Yeah, it's definitely something that gets underrated um, on the offensive side. But it also gets kind of forgotten about on the defensive side because when you're thinking about who you're going to play week to week, because very often in IDP leagues, a lot of them are so shallow that you can pick up pretty much majority of players off the waiver wire. Most teams only play a couple, at, most leagues only have a couple at each position. So if you, what you need to consider is your matchups in terms of does a team have a, a weak offensive line? Because if they do, one, you want the guys that will be rushing them because they've got a good chance of sacks. But also, you want your 
cornerbacks, your safeties from those teams that are playing those weak offensive lines because chances are they're going to get a lot of chances for interceptions and stuff like that and and swap the ball because the quarterback's going to be thrown in a hurry. He's going to make loose passes. They're going to capitalise on them. And I think that's something that's, that's very undervalued in IDP leagues as well. You're kind of our IDP guy on this podcast, Grant. So what do you think about that? Is that something that you should be looking out for when you decide who to start in your IDP leagues? Yeah, I'm 100% with you there. Like I said, a poor offensive line can uh, it can just disrupt the entire flow of an offense. If the if the quarterback's under pressure from the interior, he's got no room to step up to uh, avoid the guys on the outside, and that is obviously going to force a lot more mistakes from him. That is going to is going to create opportunities for defensive backs, and we all know how defensive backs vary from week to week. So if you can play the matchups like that, it's definitely something worth uh, worth considering. Yeah, I, I definitely don't feel in the fantasy community enough attention is paid to the offensive lines. And uh, I feel like, actually, an idea's coming to my head here. I feel there's a bit of a market for it, for somebody to cover that, because it's just not mentioned at all. Like, OK, you get it a little bit with, oh, Chris Johnson's behind a terrible offensive line this, this year, or something like that. You get it mentioned for the running backs occasionally, and sometimes for the quarterbacks when you're talking about it. But so rarely gets actually analysed how it detracts from its value. And I think that's something that's very much ignored and that's why I wanted to bring up in this podcast because I felt like it's something we should address and in team reviews and stuff closer to the year we will just touch on how we feel teams' offensive lines are shaping up and how we feel that affects their value. Especially players like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning who need that comfort of the pocket to really be at their best. You, you see when Peyton Manning sort of struggled a little bit more in the past it's been when he's had a weaker offensive line last year in Denver he was a bit more shaky because his offensive line at times wasn't as good as it was last year when it was absolutely fantastic and then you saw in the Super Bowl as soon as somebody put pressure on that offensive line and really caused issues Peyton Manning struggled again and I think that is the prime example of how much an offensive line does matter when you look at somebody like Peyton Manning and his value based around that offensive line so I think if um, if we want to look at offensive lines just taking over a team, you don't rather than the Philadelphia Eagles. And Chip's offense does not work without that incredible offensive line. Foles could stand there all day and make plays. McCoy had just ridiculous running lanes to rush into last season. And none of that comes together if you haven't got that all-pro group up front. No, and again, that was something that was so underrated last year. No one, I never heard that mentioned once, how, like in fantasy <clears throat> circles how Philly's offensive line were make, was making McCoy and Foles so good sorry Grant what we, uh, sorry Neil what were you going to say I was going to say I think there's outliers too I think if you if you look at Seattle last season for instance um, Marshall Lynch could, could basically run the ball at will but the pass protection were terrible and Russell Wilson were running for his life so some units are a, a strong interior but uh, the, the pass protection is poor and I think it's it's a complex position to judge and, and a complex position position to get a read on um, but for, for, for fancy purposes, if, if you're talking oh, a, a sleeper offensive line, I think I think the Bucks could be uh, quite good next year, actually. Yeah, you've actually preempted my next question. There, I was going to say, give me um, an offensive line that you feel are going to be uh, a team to watch and could elevate their uh, their position players. So uh, you've kind of preempted me there, Neil. So we'll, uh, we'll we'll leave that conversation there. Obviously, like I say, when we get into the team reviews, we'll touch on them a little bit more, the, the different offensive lines and how we feel that might detract or add to values of players that otherwise maybe we would either draft high or draft lower. It might knock them down a little bit. So um, 
we're really it, today was just going to be a quick podcast because there's not really been a lot of news. We're more building up to the draft, but it's very hard from a fantasy angle to analyse a draft before it happens because we can sit here all day and say, tell you what happens if Sammy Watkins goes to any one of ten teams, but he's only going to one of those teams, so the other nine is essentially going to be useless for you come draft day. So we're going to save a lot of the uh, draft talk for for we might do a little bit in two weeks time when we do our next one pre-draft but then most of it is going to be in those two weeks following the draft we're going to really go heavy the first week we're going to go rounds one to three and really discuss the guys there and then if we get all that covered we're going to go four to seven and I'm going to really rely on pick guy, on you guys to give me your sleepers from the late rounds because you guys have covered the draft a lot, heavy, lot more heavily than I am and paid a lot more attention to it than I have so I'm re- that's what we'll really be hoping to do pick out people like um Washington Redskins running back that's now Alfred Morris slipped my mind there who really just came from nowhere that's the kind of thing that I think post-draft we're going to try and do we're going to try and pick those players out for you who maybe are ones to watch ones just to take a a 10th round flyer on in your in your amateur drafts so but for now we'll move on to our our final segment the uh, quick hit segment and we've got two questions here for each of you so who do you think is going to be the best quarterback at the end of the year? Ignoring all the guys that might be drafted, the guys in the league right now, who is going to be the best for you, Grant? Sorry for the uh, slightly boring take, but I can't really see past Peyton Manning. He's probably, for me, he's the best ever, at least from a regular season point of view. And he's just going to continue to produce in that Denver offense. I can't really see Brady, Breeze. Hmm. No, I'll stick with Peyton Manning for that one. Okay, and you, Neil? I'm going to ignore the uh, the, the slur against uh, Tom Brady there by calling Peyton Manning the best quarterback ever because this is a fantasy podcast and I'm going to rise above it. What about, <laughs> what about you, Neil? Who's your best quarterback at the end of the year? Yeah, I'm going to have to say Peyton Manning again. I think there's just, just too much volume in that offence and I think they've made decent additions as well to replace Deco. And I, I just can't see beyond him. I really, really, really wanted to say Colin Kaepernick, but I'm not that stupid. The man I, I, I'd like to go to is, <laughs> is Aaron Rodgers, who, in a similar vein to Colin Kaepernick, actually, uses his legs a bit. But I think if Aaron Rodgers can stay healthy, he can run around like he did a couple of years ago, he's still got good targets there, and now he's got Eddie Lacy to take some of the pressure off him as well. I think Aaron Rodgers could be the guy changing Peyton Manning at the end of the year. But again, that's not really a fun answer. That's almost as boring as saying Peyton Manning, really, because everyone knows how good Aaron Rodgers is. He's probably going to go, if not in the first round, in the second round in most drafts. So we've not really picked anyone out there that's come from the blue. And I don't think with our next question we're going to do that either. Who do you guys see is going to be the best running back at the end of the year? Neil, I went to Grant first last time, so I'll come to you this time. Um, well, in the interest of not being boring, I'm going to say Le'Veon Bell. Ooh, I like that one. What about you, Grant? Well, I think there's only one obvious answer, really, and that is uh, Toby Gearhart. I'm joking, <laughs> of course. Um, no, I think uh, uh, Le'Veon Bell is obviously a very talented guy, but I think we can't really look past Brady uh, McCoy. As I've said earlier, the situation is just to him in Philadelphia. So and I'm going to go with a guy I've already referenced in Eddie Lacy. So you've got a bit of a mi- mix there. Most of the guys will go in the first round, if not first two rounds, but it's a little bit different to quarterbacks, where there might be three quarterbacks taken in the first two rounds. There's probably going to be in a 10-team draft 10 to 15 running backs taken so there's there's going to be plenty of chances to take shots on people there I think Lacey's probably going to be a top 5 running back at the end of the year but a lot of that depends where the Packers go in the draft I can't see them running back and with Rodgers there Lacey should be good Bell 
in a great situation in a team that likes to run the ball. And of course, Shady McCoy, the only thing that might detract from him is if Darren Sproles gets going in that offence, he could be an absolute absolute star spelling McCoy and you could find them sharing some more touches this year. But again, we'll, we'll deal with that close to the season when we uh, understand a bit more what Sproles' role is going to be. So really, that sums it up for this week. Like I said, this was a short and particularly sweet podcast because... We didn't, we didn't have a lot to go into depth on this week. Um, the podcast will get a bit longer post-draft when we're going a bit more into depth on positions and teams. So that's it for this week's podcast. But before we head off, just a reminder to follow at FakePigSkin on Twitter for all your fantasy needs. And get over to the awesome site at www.fakepigskin.com where you can find some awesome articles, including, and this is a personal favourite of mine because I've just taken over a, uh, an IDP Dynasty League, and, and I go about rebuilding an IDP dynasty team that you have taken over that may have been um, orphans midway through the season, shall we say, where p- people stop paying attention to it. It's a fantastic article, and it, it actually surprises you, the advice in there, because I'll let you go and read it, but it is fantastic what it is. So get over there and read that article for sure. But we also also currently have a brilliant interview by Justin Lanero with CBS Sports' Dave Richard, who's an all-round good guy and great fantasy analyst. And again, I definitely recommend you giving that a read. And then while you're there... Check out your other art, the other articles. But of course, if baseball's your thing, be sure to check out my weekly pitching column and review of who's hot and who's cold in fantasy baseball over at um, over at Fake Pigskin. Of course, you can also follow me at brolf1507, where I'll be sure to answer any of your questions. The only sport that I don't really cover for fantasy purposes is basketball, but I can point you in the right direction if you have any questions about that. Uh, Neil, remind us where we can find you on Twitter and your articles. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Neil Donho. That's all one word: N E I L D O N O H O E. Um, I've got an article coming out uh, today, I think, um, about Kyrie Robinson and his dynasty value. And I also do the weekly EPL wrap up from like a, a fantasy perspective, uh, telling you who to to put in your lineups, who to drop, and uh, who to set as your captain, and things like that. Yeah, I highly recommend that article because uh, I read it every week. And uh, when I when I ignore some of the advice, I get very angry with myself. Come uh, half three on a Saturday afternoon when somebody's already scored or scored twice, and wish I'd listened. So I definitely recommend that. And the EPL section of the website, I, I'm a little bit biased because I do the injury articles over there. But it's something that not a lot of other sites do, and it's something that I think you really need to check out if you if you if you're a casual. Premier League fantasy player to help you win your leagues and earn those bragging rights at um, work with maybe you didn't see the chances to OK Grant so uh, where can we find you and your stuff um, you can find me on Twitter at GrantHarrison91 all are there um, article wise you can find me in the IDP section of Fake Pigskin I've not been as active uh, as I'd like to be at the moment due to things going on in my life but uh, that's going to pick up shortly and the guys over in the IDP section, ran by Matt Lane, are doing a great job at the moment. As you referenced earlier, the uh, article about dealing with an orphaned IDP dynasty team is a particularly good highlight. And I know Matt's banged out quite a lot of rankings for you to look at pre-draft. Yeah, the the IDP content on the site, I obviously I write for the MLB and the EPL guys, but the IDP is second to none on that site. I, I, I have, can't think of another site off the top of my head where I think we, that that rivals the the knowledge that's put into there. Matt's brilliant. Um, Josh Mason, who wrote the the Dynasty Team article, he's brilliant. Obviously, I know what Grant writes, and he's when his stuff comes up, I'm sure it's going to be fantastic as well. But one last reminder before we head off: just to follow at Fake Fiction on Twitter and check out the site because it is fantastic, and it 
there's so much different content there. It will give you a leg up in at least three different American fantasy sports and in EPL where other people might be missing out on it. Um, but that's pretty much it. We're going to sign off on podcast number two and we'll catch up with you in a couple of weeks. Bye.